Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. This is a Data Mesh Summit takeover week. Data Nova, the Data Mesh Summit, is next week, the Feb- February 9th and 10th. Ahead of the conference, I'm interviewing four of the presenters from the conference about topics related to Data Mesh, not necessarily about their talks either. In exchange, Starburst, who is putting on the Data Mesh Summit, will be sponsoring some transcripts for Data Mesh radio episodes, which is awesome. So please check out the show notes and sign up for the Data Mesh Summit using the link. And please let Starburst know that you want more transcripts too. It's really important for accessibility reasons. And now a quick word from Starburst about why you would want to attend Data Mesh Summit. Hi, I'm Jess. Here are the top six reasons to attend Data Nova, the Data Mesh Summit. The first reason is we have a real genius as our keynote, Steve Wozniak. That's right, the Woz. So whether you use a PC, or Mac, what's up? The Woz has certainly transformed the lives of billions of people around you. Join Data Nova to hear what the Woz has to say about his journey as a tech entrepreneur. Hear his thoughts on innovation, creativity, and the future of tech. Register now. I want to thank my guest today, Max Schulze, Data Engineering Manager at Zalando. In this interview, Max shares a lot of great info about how to get started implementing a data mesh, how to maintain momentum in an implementation, where are some major pitfalls, especially early in your journey, so much more. Lots of great points to consider regarding your own journey, but also lots of sensible perspective about your mileage may vary, or since he's in Europe, is it your kilometerage may vary? I don't know. I think the two big takeaways were one, have and build empathy, and two, try not to get ahead of yourself. ThoughtWorks likes to say, think big, start small, move fast. And I think that applies in many, many aspects of data mesh. Make sure to check out Max and Dr. Arif Vider's book, Data Mesh in Practice, which is free via Starburst sponsored download or also free if you've got an O'Reilly subscription. And of course, check them out at Data Nova the Data Mesh Summit on February 9th. They'll be presenting 
From Theory to Practice on their O'Reilly Market Research book. That's at 1.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. GMT. Max Narif are also doing a data mesh-related training via O'Reilly in February. Links are in the show notes as per usual, so please do check that stuff out. Back to the interviews, Lalanda was in a bit of an analysis paralysis in the early days when Max firm first came across Jamak's initial blog post. And it really spoke to the pain points that they were having. Max realized that even as a technologist, the technology side is not the most important aspect to fixing what was ailing them regarding their data lake setup. Pulling an inverse Conway maneuver for the entire company wasn't going to work, but small inverse Conway maneuvers would help move things forward. Their first steps were to, were to take a step back and make very conscious decisions about data, something that I've re- referred to a lot as intentionality. Some people have given me a little grief for how much I say intentionality, but it's very important relative to data mesh. Um, so they started building more scalable and scaled data products with teams that were already building kind of data assets, data artifacts in some sense. You know, you might call them data products if you're not looking at it from a data mesh uh, terminology perspective. Max used a three-pronged ap- approach to move things forward. First, start with knowledge sharing about why this all matters, e.g., to an application team who is using your data, especially how crucial it is to that team, how the changes have impacted your team. A blameless approach is key. We discussed the need for empathy, but that empathy isn't built via haranguing and demanding. It's built via sharing a vision and context. The second prong was a clever, I think Max called it slightly devious, use of technology. The starting realization here was that one-to-one knowledge sharing could not scale. If you're at a large company, I think you understand this. You can't have one-to-one meetings with everyone. So on to the tech-based solution. For every pipeline of data, there was an automatically generated schema, but every schema was strictly controlled by the data producing team. So if a consumer of the data wanted a change, say to add some new column that existed but wasn't part of the schema, the only people who could make the change were the producing team. The data engineering folks couldn't make that change. So the consumers were forced to go and speak with the producers and thus build direct one-to-one relationships. And that created much more communication up and downstream about what needs were, what changes were coming, things like that. The third prong was more a result rather than something that they planned out ahead of time. But as data producer teams saw more and more usage of their data and wanted to serve their newly realized uh, internal customers well, they realized they would need a data engineer or two within their domain to really create the highest quality data products that met the, the demands of those consumers. Not every team needs a data engineer, but there are some where the domain just didn't have the deep level of expertise, or especially there are really complex data product considerations in some domains. Max closed on a few key points, and I, and I really like these. Uh, so this is something to keep in mind, maybe write down in your, your data mesh journey journal. First, data mesh is a journey. 
even though Zalando is much further down the path than most, they're still far from an end state. And there probably is never really an end state. There's not a stopping point. This isn't something that you have uh, an end specifically in sight. You're constantly evolving as new things with your business change. Second point would be empathy is crucial. Having it to start with everyone that you're talking to, everybody is is trying their best in general. <laughs> Every you have to you have to give assume that positive intent and and having that empathy from the start, and then working on fostering it between other people as well. So much of the challenges with data are producing teams not even knowing about how people are using their data. Focus on a blameless culture when educated, not you broke this. It's you made this change, which was important for your application. And as a result, the downstream data consumption was broken. So let's talk about how we prevent that in the future and how important your data is to others. Third point, technology is important, but far from the most important aspect to getting data mesh right. Starting with technology only is likely to lead you in a wayward direction. Fourth, start from the knowledge share, but look for ways to scale that knowledge sharing. Again, Max used that, that inverse Conway maneuver, but in general, you want to look at how you create that data literacy and data sharing culture, but that it's not all one-to-one conversations. And the, and the last point is try not to get ahead of yourself. Max mentioned this on the governance side specifically, but I think it's important for all of the pillars. If you if you just give the domains data ownership, but not the tools and resources to handle sharing their, their data, it won't go well. If you try to make a platform capable of dealing with a thousand data products before your first one is in production, that's headed for disaster. Have patience, move forward together. Again, think big, start small, move fast. With that, I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Hi, everyone. Really, really excited about this episode. I have the most prolific uh, content creator in the data mesh space. This has got Max Schulze from uh, Zalando here. Max, if you could give people a bit of an intro to yourself. Hey, Scott. It's a pleasure for being here with you today. Uh, I'm really, really happy to drop on the podcast together with you. Uh, and it's been amazing that I, uh, that I got the invite and yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd love to, to give a short intro to the, to you folks out there, um, on, uh, where I'm actually coming from and, uh, what's my background and what makes me actually talking about data mesh at this point. Um, yeah, generally speaking, uh, I am a data engineering manager at Zalando, uh, at, uh, as Scott already mentioned, for those of you who don't know Zalando, uh, it's the uh, biggest, uh, European online platform for fashion. And uh, it's also a huge tech company. And um, they 
had a very strong focus on data for quite some time. Um, and uh, that also brought me into the picture, I think around six years ago, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to basically at that time start working on the first version of the company's data lake. And uh, that was just after the company started moving to the cloud. Uh, so it was like very early journey, like really greenfield project that we started with a very junior team uh, playing around with some first like data processing technologies and cloud computing and what have you. Um, but then basically I've stuck around with the topic ever since. So like I've uh, stayed for uh, with Salando for the whole time, really started rolling out some some bigger data computation engines like Spark, like Trino, um, started rolling out like bigger storage uh, layers for the data lake. Most of our stuff is on, on AWS, on S3, uh, where by now we have like uh, several petabytes of data uh, and a massive inflow of data, massive usage of data each and every day. Yeah, that's awesome. And and as I said, uh, Max is, is the most prolific of the content creators. I think uh, he's done something like seven or eight different uh, meetup band or conference presentations. And so um, there's a lot of great information out there. But uh, Max, today, the, the reason we wanted to, to chat was to, one, share kind of the Zolando story and also uh, Max and um, his sometimes co-presenter, uh, Dr. Arif Vider. Hopefully I, I pronounced that well. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, they uh, have also put out a really great um, kind of book that's, you know, not a the 300-page the type of, of book, but a, a compendium around kind of what is data mesh and, and that you can really dig into um, that but not uh, have the, the full 300-page experience. Um, so would love to talk about kind of that process as well. But why don't we start with what you were seeing at Zalando and kind of what led to the challenges around why you would you started looking at data mesh? Is that a good place for you to to kind of jump in? Yeah, I think it's actually a perfect starting point. Like um so when when as I already mentioned, right? Like I've been I've been working in a data lake setup for for several years before we started even considering some some things like data mesh even before the, the term was born for that matter. And uh, it was quite interesting because of course, like if you're working in a centralized data lake setup, uh, you run into quite a lot of challenges as well over the time. Like you you fix a lot of things, you you build a lot of amazing products for, for the, the data practitioners within the company. Um, but of course, like the organizational setup also gives you some restrictions on like what you're actually able to do uh, from the technical side. And this is really something that I also have to say here. Yeah, I'm a huge tech geek. Like I'm, I'm really coming from the engineering side of things. Uh, so like I've, I've really always been looking at uh, how can we turn this into like infrastructure, into platform, into just like engineering topics for that matter. But also I had to realize that uh, eventually there are a bunch of things that come more from an organizational angle, let's say. And that's something that I also realized at Zalando. And this is something that uh, we've been discussing a lot uh, with several colleagues within uh, within the company. And eventually this data mesh term popped up, right? It was like around the time when, when Jamak uh, published her first article on the topic, um, when people started talking a bit about uh, like this new 
data mesh thingy that was uh, that was coming out there, um, and that was discussing like a couple different approaches on how to how to address certain challenges. The interesting thing for me then was to look into where this is actually coming from, like to to understand like why why data mesh, right? Like what 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 is the problem that it's actually trying to address? And this was when I realized that a lot of these challenges that were mentioned there were actually very similar to the challenges that that we already ran into over the time. And even more so, the um, some of the solution ideas that were presented there as well uh, were also partially overlapping with the things that we came up with already. And that's what I found very, very interesting because that for the first time made me realize that it's not just us who are having like some very specific Zalando challenges um, that only we have in our setup, but that it's actually something that uh, a lot of people and a lot of companies are actually facing the same challenges at the same time. And yeah. this is where like the whole discussion around data mesh really started. Her, her article, I know a lot of people have said kind of similar of they, they felt seen after it because they were like, oh, we're not alone here. And then, yeah, she was combining or, you know, she's combined a lot of different aspects from software engineering as to how they might work together for, you know, data management, but that it was the oh, okay, yeah, if we do this, it is going to introduce this this challenge. So it's it has kind of shaved off uh, a number of years for people's <laughs> iterations as to, okay, you just push the domains to own the data. Okay, but they don't own the actual infrastructure and they don't own the actual pipelines. So there's still that cross boundaries. Yeah, all, all that exact stuff. So that that's, that's really helpful. And, um, you know, do you have any thoughts on where where you started? You know, looking back, I know it's it's been a few years, but like if someone were to think about where they're where to get the momentum behind this, where to to jump into their POC, is there? I know you've given a, a couple of examples of of stories of of some of the exact challenges that you saw. I think that might be useful around that as well. But uh, you know, if if you can interweave some things to help people get over the hump to actually get going. Cause I know a lot of people are in analysis paralysis around that. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Cause that is, that is exactly where we were coming from at this starting point as well. Right. And I think we can also consider ourselves lucky that we had been at that point already uh, when the whole discussion in the community essentially started uh, because that, that is essentially also where I picked it up, where I realized um there's a lot of discussions about the like the theoretical foundations on the topic, uh, but what people were really lacking at that time was some practical examples, right? So all I did, and that was like really my first involvement with the whole topic was, well, I went to a couple of conferences and said like, yeah, this is how we are doing stuff. And this was not necessarily even like largely uh, um, entwined with like the strict theoretical foundations and like following everything by the book but it was more like yeah the, we are picking up the general idea and we are picking up some of the things even from the technical side again because that was also my background um to to really put these things into practice and this is something that that i think like we have been one of the first to actually like share our practical story for that matter uh, and that was something that was incredibly appreciated by the community 
to like really like look at some some practical examples and look at some some solutions not necessarily just to identify if this is the exact challenge that we now also have and to see like the exact path out of that but to really like trigger a thought process what 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 are the questions like that's the the thing is if we're trying to provide all the answers for everybody it, it's not going to work but if if we can work towards providing the questions of here are the questions you have to answer for yourself uh I just interviewed Juan Zacada yesterday and and he was talking about centralization versus decentralization and there's you know 50 different things that you have to specifically, you know, some very high level, very important, some not nearly as high level or as important, but you, you have to, to figure out that sliding scale for yourself because it is dependent on your organization. But exactly what you said, you've, you've been talking about the practical and in practice and what does this actually mean? And, and it's, it, it has been uh, very helpful to a, a large number of people. So I, I think everybody, including myself, very appreciative of that. But like, so say somebody is, is feeling these pains. Did you start from the people process side? Did you start? I mean, you're a technology person. You probably wanted to start from the technology side. Um, did you do that or would you recommend that? You know, kind of two different questions there. Yeah, one of the most painful realizations that I actually had very early throughout this process was that even though I really wanted to make this about technology, it absolutely was not. Like it, it was really like driven by the the people processes, by the organizational setups, um, and they were in the end much much more important than what I wanted to make this about. Of course, like. Um, being in the position that I am also on the, on the Zalando perspective, um, I somehow needed to take technology as a lever to start pushing organizational boundaries. And this is really something where, where on, on the one hand side, we, we try to get creative and we try to understand like what are certain things that we can do to force people to like change certain behaviors uh, or, or start moving into that direction. Uh, but there was like more a trick, I would say, to, to leverage technology uh, to push for, let's say, organizational changes for that matter. So it's, it's a, a moderate scale reverse Conway maneuver rather than trying to do the full, <laughs> yes. like not, not trying to do the full lever, but it was like the little like stuck parts that you're going around with the crowbar instead of the the huge like kind of jack to lift up the 10,000 pound thing. Okay. That, that's interesting. How, like, you know, can you take me through some of the, the things that you were doing there or, or where, where were your learnings about the, um, that kind of initial process of how you were dealing with people and, and some of that, those friction points and, and what, what was, what you found useful and maybe, if you've got anti-patterns as well, like things that yeah. didn't work, that could be very helpful. Yeah. yeah. So it was, it was quite interesting because, of course, like data mesh is coming from a couple different angles, right? But like one of the core things um, that, that I always keep repeating is to, to bring yourself into the position that you make conscious decisions about data. And um, that, that really starts with um, coming from, uh, let's say, a data swamp setup. Uh, where you have lots and lots of data with like completely unclear responsibility, uh, where you have like no clear ownership for for um, who's actually taking on certain challenges, for 
these several thousands of data sets that you still have by now, um, but you don't have like clear products, you don't have clear ownership or anything like that. And like, this is of course, like one of the hardest things to change because this is something where you really need to get into the head of the individual. And this is like really something that we took as a, as a first angle, let's say, um, to start doing some, um, some POC, some pilot projects, uh, where you really started to, to, to address some of these things and to really start building out your first data products so that you can have examples that you can share with the rest of the company, uh, and that you can showcase as well that this is an approach that is actually working, that is actually leading to valuable um, input for for many other teams that are using this data. And this is like what, what we did with a couple of our teams that were already really close to us, let's say. On the one hand side, I have to say like we were comparatively lucky uh, with the organizational setup that we were coming from, because from the time that we still had like um, business intelligence teams that were mostly taking care of the data analytical uh, side of things uh, in the company, um, and I think that was like even before I joined, to be honest, the company made a decision to um, to put decentralized BI teams in place that are responsible for the analytics within the respective business units. At the same time, the company is very well structured to uh, in the sense of having business units that are responsible for certain parts of the business, certain processes, certain areas, um, which already gives you a very nice, let's say, organizational setup where you have um, a certain business area, a certain domain, let's say, um, and you already have an embedded data team that is responsible for the data of the domain. And that helped us a lot to reach out to some of these teams and start building the first data products. Some of them already had data products even in place. They were like BI teams with product managers uh, that were already talking mostly about like, let's say, tables in a data warehouse. Uh, and there needed to be like a huge uh, upscaling in terms of technology and bringing them like to the, uh, to the, to the newest state. But um, that was something where we could already rely on, um, on a very nice foundation when it came to the organization. Yeah, I think that's a, a common challenge as well is, is people trying to go to the domains and get them to share their data, but that they're not necessarily bought in as to what that gets them. And so it's nice that you already had somewhat around that, but do, do you have any insights as to when you were talking to them about when they were upskilling? Right. Saying, OK, or, or, you know, upgrading their what they were sharing. What were the domains going to get additionally out of doing this? Was there anything that you could share that that people might be able to take to go and talk to those domains? Because this, this friction of saying, hey, domains, you need to share your data, but they but not going back to them and saying, and here's why here. Here's what you get. Here's. Here's what we get from it, but here's what you get from it has been something that that I've just seen people complaining that it doesn't work. And it's like, well, of course, because you just you're just asking them to do more work and you're not giving them anything in return. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um on, on this point, I I clearly have to say that we have essentially two 
major setups that, that largely differentiate from each other. On the one hand side, we have exactly what I just mentioned before. We already had these embedded BI teams that uh, for some of them already had product managers as well. And they had like a great, great product driven mindset for, for how to work with that data. And for them, of course, it was more or less just a change of technology, uh, just to, to like upskill them, to, to, to bring them to the newest standards, to also be able to work with unstructured data, larger, larger amounts of data, uh, things that didn't fit into their uh, good old data warehouse anymore. Um, that was the comparatively easy part because the basic mindset was already there. And here was really about technology. And if something is actually about technology, that's amazing because that is something that I'm very good at influencing. The very hard part was, of course, all the others out there. Yeah. So I mentioned, right, that this was like mostly the stuff that we had in the data warehouse. But for instance, we have a company-wide event bus that has like something between four and 6,000 data sets that are flowing through there on a regular basis, which are largely um, created for service-to-service -service communication. So this is like really the transactional world speaking with itself to make the business run. But for some uh, reason, we put a pipeline in place that actually archives all this data into our central data lake. And uh, of course, now you have this huge archive of like petabytes of data in the end, thousands of data sets where nobody feels responsible for. Right? And this is the part where it's much, much harder to get into. Right? This, is, this is like the part where you really need to uh, dive into specific use case, convince specific teams and specific business domains one by one to actually make them adopt like new habits and take on new responsibilities. How, how did you start that conversation or how, how did that conversation go? Were, were you the one that was leading it or how did the organization get them kind of bought in? Because exactly what you're talking about of these a lot of domain teams are just not familiar enough with the data. So you, you're, you're going to them and saying, hey, I need you to do these things and not giving them the additional resources, both on the technology and the people knowledge side. So you're just giving them responsibilities, just adding more work to them. So of course, they're going to kind of push back. So like, how did that go? Or how did you how did you get over that hump? So there, there were several layers to that, I would say, um, starting with a, with some like initial knowledge sharing awareness um, to really drive people towards understanding uh, like how data is being used. Uh, there was a second part where I was like basically drawing one of these uh, technical tricks to actually force people to talk to each other uh, that I will get into in a second. Um, and then, of course, lastly, there is really the part where you speak about uh, adapting something on an organizational level, bringing people to the point that once they understand certain responsibility, they can also get into uh, the, uh, the position where they can, for instance, get more resources, get additional engineers to actually take care of these responsibilities. Right. So these are like more or less the three steps uh, in, uh, that I want to touch on. Um, the first one is, of course, something that that is that I really started running around in the company and like started giving training, started giving talks, started to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people where I knew that this is actually a very impactful, uh, let's say, a specific data set that is has has actually many many users um, to to really 
get the buy-in of certain people, explain them what are the, the challenges that we're actually facing in the current situation, and not even necessarily like blaming them for something that they are not doing, but just presenting them with a situation of saying like, hey, there is this other team that is actually using your data. Um, well, uh, but they had a problem last time you actually changed the schema because it was completely breaking their process, for instance. Uh, where many, many times the people actually came back to, oh, 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 somebody is using that. Oh, yeah, I didn't know. Uh, that was actually not meant to be used that way, right? And and this was like one of the most common reactions where um, people were simply lacking awareness, but like completely. And and this was like really, really tough on the one side to, to get this reaction so many times. Um, but also to see actually what kind of motivation and drive it triggered just by getting people to be aware of the situation. And this was already really impressive to see that that all of a sudden, once people realized that there was a dependency to them, um, they actually wanted to help. I've been talking about this a little bit of the empathy for downstream users is they don't have any insight into what people are using and why and so they they can't have any empathy for the downstream because they may not be aware that it is. Or if they are aware that it's used, they have no idea how it's used or that. So they're either stuck in, okay, I can't evolve my application. I can't evolve my schema because I might break people downstream or just, okay, so then I can't do my job. So no, I've got to do my job. So eh, so we've got to provide that that kind of feedback loop, exactly what you're talking about. That, that's great to hear that I'm not crazy in that, that concept. <laughs> yeah. So. And, and and the interesting part here was really like um, that this was an amazing starting point, right? Like that you could actually have impactful conversations um, to, to push single use cases forward, right? To, to really make sure you bring people in touch with each other, you have them to have like a continuous conversation. You can eventually even like withdraw yourself from the conversation because they continue talking to each other because now they they actually want to help each other. And this is really something that, that, was, that was quite impactful to push that. And, and that blameless aspect too of you said, you went in and you said that this is, is it's not anybody's fault. It's not, you know, I'm coming to you and saying, oh, you're doing these things wrong. It's, hey, we, we need to, to enable you to have empathy. If you don't have empathy, that's a different challenge, but we have to enable that. So that's that's fantastic. So you said the first point, kind of knowledge share. Uh, what was the, the second point that you kind of were? Yeah. And, and, and the second point was then really to think about like, okay, this 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 works really nicely, but this doesn't scale. <laughs> Like I cannot have one-on-one -on -one conversations with every single team in the company to convince them that there is actually somebody that needs their help uh, and that they should get involved with them to 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 actually push them forward. Right? Uh, this this simply didn't work from that perspective. And and that is like again where where my platform thinking like came in, where like me as an infrastructure engineer try to figure out like how can I start a, a technological setup that allow that that forces people to talk to each other, let's just say. And um, that, that's where we, where we pulled a really neat trick when it came to um, the very same uh, event data sets uh, that came from our company-wide event bus that were archived in, in, in our data lake, um, where on the one hand side, a lot of that stuff, or actually all of that, was JSON data. 
very, very poor performance for analytics. So very tough to actually work with that on an analytical scale. So eventually we put a pipeline in place to convert this into a binary format so that we could have much faster analytics and much better performance for the users that actually wanted to make use of the data. But to convert something into a binary format, you need a schema. And you need a schema that you can rely on um, that needs to be provided from the input side and that uh, cannot like break all the time uh, because people uh, that would actually break the, the conversion and again, break all the downstream use cases. And um, what we did is we put a uh, um, yeah, schema evolution system in place that relies on a schema that is actually registered in the event bus, that is under full control of the owner of the data set. And that is where the fun part comes in, because um, whenever something was changing in the schema in the event bus, um, it would automatically be adapted through our pipeline and also make these changes available in the binary version of the data set, which is a very cool feature. And the cool part specifically is that the input is 100% under the control of the data producer. So now, and that happened many, many times in the past, a consumer comes to us as the infrastructure team and asks us, hey, I'm using this data set, but uh, this new field is missing. I want to use this new field as well. And I'm like, well, is this new field registered in the in the schema that is under the responsibility of the producer? And I'm like, well, no. And well, we are like, well, then ask them to do it because you know our pipeline has this automated feature where once they register it, it automatically gets put in place, and then you have your data. And that was pretty neat trick to now say, okay. We are actually giving up the control about uh, about like understanding like how the schema actually looks like because everything is automated, but the ones that can control it are the producers. So now, if a consumer comes in and wants a change, they only have the option to actually reach out to the producer and ask them to change it, right? So just by like setting up the pipeline in the way we did, um, the only option that the consumers have is to talk to the producers. And this, again, like essentially forced a situation where more and more and more consumer teams over time started reaching out to the teams that they were actually relying on. Yeah. And this triggered a lot more of these conversations uh, where, of course, whenever there was the possibility to like jump in and help somebody and explain something in more detail, we are still doing that. We are still like consulting the folks. We are still a big support team within the company as well when it comes to that. But like triggering these conversations and bringing the people together uh, without needing to convince them one by one was actually a large driver to raise the adoption. Yeah, I think that's that's great. That's a an interesting thing. I literally I've been saying that the one to one convos don't scale. So this is exactly what you're talking about, and um, I'm I'm kind of also trying to figure out a good way to. Um, maybe even record one, one-to-one conversations where there is an interview about a data product or things like that. So that way people, when, when things are, are debuted or when there's a major new feature change or whatever, somebody, there's just like a little video people can watch, right? <laughs> that they go, oh, okay, I can do that. You know, so it, it's great. And, and then, so you started with the knowledge share, you kind of uh, used reverse Conway in, in a very clever way is, is kind of the second. And then the, the third point that you were 
kind of talking about going down for, for this as to affect the organizational change that needed to happen? Yeah, th- that was then something where, um, like, after putting these, uh, going through these first two steps, I slowly saw the thing starting to take off. So I slowly started to see more people get involved in the conversation, not just from the perspective of wanting to learn, but also from the perspective of wanting to share. We actually had like first data um, data producers that uh, wanted to share how to build a data product. Like what were also the technical things? What were the platform capabilities that we were offering that they were using to build their specific data product? So that others could uh, could ease the setup to actually uh, to actually do the same for for their respective business domain, and that was quite interesting um, because on the one hand side it made me incredibly happy to see that there's like more and more people that are seeing and feeling that it's actually becoming a success and that are interested in sharing the success story. Where I also honestly have to say uh, I am very very happy for. Uh, the general culture that we have at Zalando in the tech space, which is usually about openness, which is about transparency, which is also about sharing failures to, to like really understand and learn from the mistakes of others. Um, but to then also uh, advocate the behavior of having people share like what are new approaches that they tested, uh, what are new approaches that they actually were able to pilot successfully and that they now want to share with others. And this is like something where the first people started to speak up um, to, to raise awareness um, and started to become like multipliers within the company to really push the topic forward. And it led to one very interesting thing, which by now I think uh, already like two or three teams reached out to me personally, um, discussing, for instance, the budget round of the next year, where they wanted to hire a couple new people. And then they realized that there's more and more data consumers, that they're always asking them to do like certain things on the data side, like fixing a schema, like uh, helping them with some content descriptions or what have you, where they realized that their team of backend engineers was not capable of actually performing all these actions in an efficient way, uh, that they came back to me and asked me if it's a good idea for their team to actually hire a data engineer. And this was like really where where I was like uh, uh, throwing a party inside of myself uh, because I was so, so happy that they wanted to um, adapt the idea of cross-functional teams. And they actually came up with it by themselves. They like really wanted to, they wanted to take on the responsibility but they were they realized that they are not efficiently set up to do that and they wanted to change the setup um, and they wanted to use some of the budget that they had been granted uh, to grow the team in the in the upcoming year to actually invest into the data space because uh, there was enough people that actually told them that there is the need that there's enough value um, to actually dive deep into the space that's great. Yeah, I, I, there's been a lot of conversations recently about is that an analytics engineer where it's somebody that's you know tied to a data product? Are they is should each data product be developed by a data engineer, or should there be a data engineer in a larger domain that kind of floats between multiple data products? Or you know, I, I think it's it's an interesting conversation that every company has to kind of figure out but yeah that that's great that they were saying hey we're not serving our constituents well enough um how how did that kind of reflect back on 
how the domains are, are measured. Do you have any thoughts on, you know, are domains now measured on how well they're serving their, their not just the application, the external facing applications and things, but the, the data consumers? Is that something that, that Zalando overall has, has kind of reflected into, whether that's literal compensation or just, you know, kind of the internal feedback or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it's quite interesting because it's still work in progress to a large extent, so <laughs> also on that side. Um, uh, and just to throw that in from the side, uh, data mesh is a journey, right? And like we are, <laughs> we are nowhere clear, nowhere close to actually be finished on that side. Uh, we are like absolutely on the journey ourselves. We might be one or two steps ahead of some others, but uh, we are still very much in the middle of it. And um, what we are actively discussing at the moment is um, uh, data product KPIs. Like, like what are really like metrics that you can measure that uh, that uh, showcase like how valuable is the data actually that you're providing to others? Um, like how many users do you actually have that are using this for, for their respective downstream processes? How many other data products are potentially built up on top of the things that you already have? Um, but also like just like operational metrics, like in the sense that does it make sense to invest additional money into making this particular data product available earlier every day? Um, because there are certain downstream consumers that would largely benefit from that. And like once you get into this direction of actually measuring the impact that you have and measuring the value that your data is bringing to the company, uh, you're getting into the situation that a lot of business decisions become much, much easier. Right? Because then you understand, hey, this one data set is the most valuable data set for the whole company, and everybody is working on that. Yeah, then it becomes pretty easy to say, okay, we should probably hire, like, uh, grow the team by like two more people um, to 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 put the additional effort into actually uh, increase the quality or like lower the latency or whatever, um, because um, you have a clear understanding of how much impact that would actually have. And this is something, again, like absolutely work in progress. We are still like working on certain standardizations of the setup, uh, working with some teams to, 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 to pilot specific setups for their current, uh, for, for, for their specific domain. Um, but uh, yeah, like it's absolutely necessary to, to, to measure what you're doing there and to have the metrics about like how well you're doing with your data products, how the adoption is going, uh, and what the impact is on the respective downstream users. Yeah, when I spoke with Juanes Rosiers, he made an interesting point about, um, especially downstream data products. Of if there's a, a really popular feature of a downstream data product, should that be pushed further and further upstream? Right. Let's say you've got you know data product A and data product B is built off of that, and data product C is built off of that, and data product C has a really really popular you know aspect or whatever. Could that just be moved into data product A and maybe data product C goes away, even though it's like this very valuable thing. But, you know, can you push that up further? And and so that everybody who is accessing this, you know, kind of main data product now also has that. And and how do you think about um, new features of a data product? Like, how do you think about that marketing of you, you <laughs> kind of the recommendation engine around data products of, you you liked this data product. You might also like. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's it's yeah. a, an interesting concept. So um, 
I, I wanted to uh, make sure that we also jumped into the, the book and, and things like that. But was there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we kind of jump into kind of the reason for creating the book and what, what you've, you've done there? Or? Yeah, I, I think like we, we can, we can, we can uh, uh, draw the bridge here as well uh, because those two things actually, for me personally, tie together very, very well. Because like, when, as I already mentioned, like at the beginning, uh, when the whole data mesh topic actually became popular, um, I wanted to just bring up the idea and share with the community what were some of the things that we were already doing in that space. And that was perceived incredibly positive. And I got so many people that wanted to talk about the topic afterwards and dive deep into the experiences, share their own experiences as well. Uh, and, and give input and just have open discussions on the topic. Um, and eventually, after one of the conference talks that we were uh, that we were giving on the topic as well, we were also approached by O'Reilly um, if we would be interested in doing a training on the topic. And that was a very interesting idea uh, at that moment uh, because, like, I had honestly never thought about doing something like this, like going into the area of like uh, teaching or like like more than just like giving a presentation or like talking to someone, uh, but actually like preparing some educational material uh, on, on, on such a large and upcoming topic. Um, we were quite surprised to actually get the request, but we decided to actually follow through with that. And uh, what we specifically wanted to focus on with that was exactly the part that we discussed at the beginning, which was how to get started from the angle of actually at first understanding the perspectives of each other and developing empathy for the different people that are working with data. And this is like really where our first, first training was focusing on um, to, uh, to present the different perspectives of like the data consumer, the data producer, the data infrastructure team that is sitting in the middle and really showcase what are the pain points of each of them. So that you, and at the same time, guiding the people through like some practical exercises to like really feel the pain for that matter. Um, and to really create the awareness that there are others out there like you or the other way around that there are others out there that you're depending on that, I, that you have no idea that you are actually depending on them. So like to, to really like kick off the ball by like picking up these conversations and push the people towards like just starting to talk about it. This was like the very first thing that we did there. And uh, by the way, we are still running that training as well. I think next one is in February at some point. Uh, and there will be another one later down the year. Um, so there's still the opportunity to, to jump into those as well. But then further down the line, um, we also had the idea to basically expand on that. We wanted to not just stop where like we had the starting point, where we, where we were talking about. Um, getting people started from just from the perspective of empathy and awareness, uh, but to really follow through on a topic and like like giving it a, a bit more extended angle of really drawing out the, the data mesh journey and like what are the different steps that 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 uh, that different companies are usually going through, which is very close to what we have actually discussed earlier in the podcast, like from from the starting from the angle of like, uh, well, starting small, like having like first pilots that you're really going into, um, starting to work with like, uh, like single teams on specific use cases, and then just slowly but surely like convincing others and starting other use cases over time so that you can understand how to actually 
actually scale the whole thing and how to, again, bring in the platform angle, like how to support the people, um, how to actually provide the features to make the data practitioner journey earlier, similar to the point that you touched upon earlier. Um, does there always need to be a data engineer in every team? Ideally not. If the platform tooling is so easy to use that any business analyst can actually just sit there and click together their data product. That would be amazing. Of course, like very few companies are there yet, um, but like moving into that direction to just like improve the platform features that you're offering and lowering the entrance barrier for the people to actually work with data is like an amazing, uh, amazing next step when it comes to that point. It, it, it sounds like you're actually just uh, reading off the the points, some of the points that I've been making, but you're not. So it's great that we're, we're this well aligned because when I talk about pushing this responsibility onto the domains, you have to give them additional resources. Is that the knowledge share? Is that that they're they're that you take certain um, aspects of what they have to do off of their plate? Is it giving them additional people? Is it those abstractions at the technology level? Like whatever. But if you're just giving them additional responsibilities it's a very not nice move, right? Yes, so yes, absolutely. How do you balance that is, is, is interesting and it's a conversation for every organization. If somebody tries to tell you there's a blueprint for this is the way to do it, I, I'm highly skeptical, but exactly what you're talking about of you, you and, and the incremental approach, right? Where you're, there's been a few people that I've talked to who've tried to say, okay, we've done our POC. We think our platform is ready. We're going to go to all the domains and tell them they have to start publishing the, all their data. It's like, whoa, uh, that's getting way far ahead of yourself. <laughs> that's that's basically heading for a, a data swamp, but that in a data mesh setup, like it's it's the data mess, right? It's the... It's, it's, you're, you're just creating too much by trying to move too fast. And so, um, I, I love a lot of the, the points that you're, you're talking about. So, um, the, the book specifically, you're, you're saying it kind of digs into a lot more of the specific aspects of how, how people could go about these things. Is there any, any one highlight that you would point to for, for the book that was like your favorite? aspect that you got to where, where you're like, okay, the, the, you know, uh, chapter 2.5 or whatever is like <laughs> your, your absolute favorite. Is there anything that, that you think, um, you know, we obviously want people to go out and do their reading, but at the same point, is there anything that, that you think came out of reading the book where you really reflect or writing the book that you reflected on and went, oh, that's really like a really interesting, useful point. So um, there, there, there's two different different angles that I want to touch upon. The first one is um, the general structure of the book so that potentially some people that are interested in, in picking up also have an idea of what it's actually about. Yeah. Uh, on the one hand side, of course, like we, we are starting off just with a general uh, first part where we introduce the whole data mesh concept, right? And absolutely, uh, if you are already like an expert on understanding like what are the different pillars, uh, feel free to also skip that part. Like uh, it, it's really, um, I, I still love that part because it's like a concise part for like bringing these things together, like in in, in not that extended chapters. Um, where then the part afterward is really the one where we outline the journey. 
right? What I love the most are like some of the practical examples that we've actually like thrown in there, which to large extents are things that I have actually experienced myself or latest have people experienced that I was talking through, uh, talking to in the process when we actually uh, developed the whole book. And um, again, saying uh, count, calling it a book is always a bit of an overstatement like the whole thing just has like 50 60 pages so don't be overwhelmed by, by actually diving into that um, but like the the second big aspect that I wanted to to point out is um, actually the support that we got from for, for for pushing this thing through I've been talking to so many people to 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 do our research work and to really like get the the impressions of like what are other companies doing? What are like common patterns that we can maybe see? What are some of the some of the pitfalls that are repeating in each and every company? What are what are some of the best practices that we can maybe draw from the different setups that we've seen there? And this was really like where we where we got so much support from the data mesh community uh, to really bring this thing together. And even to an extent, of course, that um, we, we got amazing reviewers that really helped us also to like drag ourselves out of our thought bubble to, to make sure we are, we are like really uh, getting the big picture here. Um, so it has been like an, an amazing journey to actually go through that. Lots of effort went into that, but I'm super, super happy where we arrived with that. Uh, and I absolutely think it's, uh, it's worth a read if you're interested. Yeah, and that was some of that was kind of the concept of why I really wanted to create the community and push for it is that so you're you're the bleeding edge of the bleeding edge, right? You're you're it's kind of like when I look at it, it's it's pretty much like you and DPG Media are the two first ones that really moved quickly, and a lot more people started moving in. Um, late 2020 and early 2021 and you know we're, we're seeing more and more people pick it up but um that we need a place and and ways to share this knowledge and to say what are the pitfalls so hey i fell in this in this pit don't <laughs> like literally that's what a pitfall is is there is a pit here i'm going to tell you what what happened when we fell into it why we thought that it didn't exist and then fell in and, and move that. So that that's amazing that, that there's so many people out there that are, are willing to share. And, and um, you had mentioned that the, the book is on O'Reilly. So anyone with an O'Reilly subscription can get to it, but um, you also uh, have a mechanism and I'll drop it in the, the show notes, both link to O'Reilly, but also um, Starburst has, has sponsored it as well. So you can get it through that access as well. Correct. Yes, exactly. So it's it's also publicly available uh, through that angle where you would need to provide your personal details, but you can then uh, get the full PDF copy uh, for for your own uh, access, uh, which is something that is, uh, I think, a really nice opportunity, even if you don't have an uh, O'Reilly account that you can access the material. Yeah. Um, if you do have an O'Reilly account, please do actually go through that uh, mechanism at least to click on it, just so that way they get positive feedback that it's a it, it's a valuable thing. We want to make sure that that they the O'Reilly folks know how much the community appreciates doing this, or you know everything that you've put together, all the presentations, all the um, the work that you've put into this book. Um, so. You know, we've covered a whole lot of of amazing things. Uh, is there any one point that you would 
really focus on when talking to somebody who's early in their journey? And maybe you've got somebody who's maybe done their, their POC, you know, two different ones, but somebody who's super, super early and trying to get going. And then, um, somebody who's kind of gone through their POC and trying to figure out what next. Is there, is there any nuggets of wisdom that you could provide <laughs> as, as somebody who's gone through this and really thought through a lot of what, what's going on out there? I think like the, the biggest thing that I can recommend, and I think we've even already touched up in it, uh, upon it partially, is uh, try to not get ahead of yourself. Like I've seen many, many people that started to 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 build the roof before they even started building the house, and uh, especially from an angle that um, I was talking to so many different companies that were always asking me questions about the federated governments, and they were always like diving deep into like yeah, but how can we adapt the federated governance because that's the the savior for all our problems, quote unquote. And then just when like diving deeper into the conversations, I realized well they hadn't. They, they, they don't have a single product person in their whole organization. They, they, they have like really not started with the absolute basics. And of course, you can think about fixing your governance situation in the setup that you currently have in your organization. But if you don't draw the foundation straight, it's a completely different conversation, right? And like what I can absolutely recommend is really start from scratch, like start with the basics and go one step at a time. It's always good to keep the next step in mind so that you're not running off totally in a different direction at first. But um, it is really important to, to, to do your homework and to really get the basics straight before you jump to the advanced level. And I can absolutely say talking about federated governance is a luxury. Like if you <laughs> really want to dive into this topic, you should already be in a quite advanced topic. I can say from my own experience, we are still only scratching the surface of federated governance, even at Zalando, where we've been on that journey already for two years, because we are still struggling with the basics in many, many different areas of the company. And like this is really something that you should keep in mind. Don't jump ahead of yourself, uh, but really like do your homework, build the foundations, and then take it from there. Yeah, I, I think this is that's amazing advice because I see it a lot with domain-driven design where someone says, well, we have to map out all of our domains before we start. It's like, no, you have to map out one or two. Like if you want to, if you want to build your POC with interoperability cross domains, you need to do two. If you only want to build your POC with interoperability within a domain across a couple of data products, you only need one domain. So, and your, your domains should have firm boundaries, but that are malleable and flexible, right? That they're they're set so you know that this data is owned by XYZ. But even when you're starting, it can be pretty fuzzy for, okay, I've mapped out one side of the domain. And so that's where I'm going to make sure that I stay inside that, but I don't even have to map out the full domain and or the platform side where people are like, I'm going to build out this full platform that can do these 85 different things. And it's like, Okay, but like your first data product only needs, you know, Kafka or Pulsar or whatever, and and some uh, some Snowflake or uh, Databricks or whatever, right? You you need two technologies, and you're trying to build it out to uh, handle absolutely everything. So I, I love that advice, and and um, it's it's 
phenomenal to talk to somebody who's kind of giving that practical of, hey, it's okay. It's a journey. You don't have to. I get a little frustrated by some of the industry bluster around if you're not data driven in the next year, you're going to be out of business. It's like, no, that's not the case. Yeah, you might have missed some opportunities for growth. But so, um, so this, this is, is phenomenal. Is I, I obviously want to give you um, some chance to, to kind of sum up your thoughts here, if there's anything else, and also let people know where they can get in touch with you and, and what you're, you're up for, for people reaching out to you about as well. So if you've got, if you've got any kind of final parting words, great. If not, let's, let's make sure that we can get people to, to, to see all the amazing content you've done and, and get in touch with you if, if you want that. Yeah. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me for the, for the podcast. Uh, it, it's really been a pleasure talking here as well and going through some of these things in detail. And of course, like, uh, for you folks out there, um, if you're interested to, to follow up on, on some of the things, uh, that, uh, that I, and specifically also my partner Reef have been doing, um, over the last two years, uh, feel free to check out some of our talks that have been recorded and have been put on YouTube. Um, some of them are very much specific to the Zalando related side of things. Some of them are going like also more into the theoretical angle. There's a bunch of upcoming conferences as well, where we will be speaking. So, so check uh, some of those out as well. And of course, if you're interested in the training um, that is still running on O'Reilly, you can do that. You can still sign up of those. As I mentioned, the next one is around mid of February, uh, but there will be another one later this year, uh, at least as well. Um, the book we already uh, shared, like where you can find it. Um, so that uh, it has really been a great journey to actually make that happen and to work that out. Uh, so I really much hope that you folks are enjoying that as well. Leave some feedback. Yeah, if you're actually diving into that, so far I've received very little feedback. Only a couple of folks that 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 were telling me uh, that that they enjoyed it. But um, I would be super interested as well on what are the parts that we can do better moving forward. Because again, like it is a journey. Like even doing something like this, like this booklet, uh, is something for me where I want to improve on as well and uh, uh, get better and make this really useful for the community. And last but not least, like feel free to reach out to me on like uh, on like social media, either like on Twitter or on LinkedIn. Uh, maybe we can drop the links below as well, um, so that um, we can also have a chat. I'm always open for uh, for having a chat, for like uh, sometimes even having some follow up conversations, um, because that is really what the community is all about. Like exchanging uh, the, the the opinions and the situations that we are in, and really learning from each other. Yeah, the sharing that context with each other is so crucial. So, well, thank thank you again, Max. This has been so phenomenal, and and I think it's going to be so useful to a lot of people. And thank you to everyone for listening along. I again want to thank my guest today, Max Schulze from Zalando. Great conversation here. There's lots of really good and useful links in the show notes. There's links to some of Max's presentations. There's links to the book. Whether you're You've got an O'Reilly subscription or you want to go the other routes via Starburst download. There's links to his upcoming training via O'Reilly as well as his uh, upcoming presentation at Data Nova. So I highly encourage you to do that. And also, if you have questions or comments, feedback for Max, please do get in touch with him. He's a great resource to the community and very happy to exchange information with people. One last reminder to sign up for the Data Match Summit. 
by clicking through the link in the show notes. Again, this will show Starburst that a partnership with Data Mesh Radio is a good thing and that we can get transcripts for more episodes going forward. Thanks. Please enjoy this outro music as provided by Rathin Sauni, who's a solution architect at Starburst and goes by the name of DJ Mesh. It is almost three minutes long, so I want to make sure people are aware of that. I think.